0: right then this is paul andrews and welcome to be positive on men's and women's radio stations if you haven't heard us before be positive is where i hunt down some motivated and positive people to find out more about them their stories and try and get as many ideas that they might have that you and i can benefit from today as always, I have guests from two very different walks of life who can share very different ideas with us. Now, the ideas we discover along the way, I've been trying out so I can share them with you. And if you do also try out some of the practical examples, let us know how you get on. You can get in touch with the show on the Men's and Women's Radio Station website, on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook, of course. And do drop us a line about anything you've heard on the show or would like to hear. And if you're a company or a brand that would benefit from sponsoring the show, then do get in touch at www.mensradiostation.com. One of the most common threads we've heard on previous episodes is that of writing down things that you are grateful for. And once again... I've embellished this idea a little bit more. So at the end of every day now, I write down the high point of the day, the low point of the day, and what I'm most grateful for in the day. It's just a fun way of keeping up to date with your gratitude diary. And as we've heard from quite a few guests now, it really is very motivating to go back and read it. So my guests today have very different stories to tell. One is from a business perspective. One is a very personal point of view. And it got me thinking how we often tend to describe things as being either from our personal life or from our business life until something dramatic happens. And then we refer to them just as life. And nothing has brought that to our attention more than this year's COVID adventure. My first guest describes himself currently as a corporate employee with an entrepreneurial mindset. He's a technology consultant, business coach and podcaster, Mark Haywood. So my first question mark has to be, what does a global mobility technology consultant actually do
1: so global mobility is a section of the business which looks after globally mobile employees so we're talking large corporates who send their their employees around the world and we work out the taxes that they need to spend in each of the different locations so if they travel to three or four locations in a year then we are working out what the taxes need to be paid in each of the jurisdictions Wow, you don't get much
0: further away from my comfort zone than that.
1: I've been doing it for 14 years. So I've, I've been being embedded in global mobility for 14 years. So I've got, very, it's very niche, but it's, it's very specialised. And the big four consultancy firms all do a lot of work in that area.
0: And after explaining all of that to us, I hear you've just resigned.
1: I have, yes. I'm very excited about it. I resigned last Monday i am going to now venture into the entrepreneurial world i've sort of had a foot in in both camps for probably about two years but it's taken me this long to get into the right position financially sort of mindset as well to to do that and i'm looking now to to invest in properties to build a coaching business to carry on my podcast i've done 200 plus 216 podcasts I also do a podcast training day where I teach people how to do podcasts as well.
0: A very mixed bag. How do you keep everything in order with so many things going on?
1: So my brain can actually keep things in compartments. And when I need to jump into my property business, I'm just renovating a property at the moment and want letting it out. I jump into that mindset and deal with that. If I'm doing my podcast interviews, then I jump into that. Today's actually been a mixed day because I've been doing lots of different things and jumping into the, the different all of the different areas. So for me, I'm able to, as long as there's a transitional phase, like your travel or you get five minutes just to collect your thoughts, I actually can go in and do that task in that, that sort of mindset and deliver on that so doing that and i I don't believe in in being able to multitask i think you have to concentrate on one thing so i i i'm gonna when i have run out my notice i'm gonna try and designate days for each of the different tasks uh that i do so i can really go deep on Podcasts, I'll do four interviews, three or four interviews in a day, something like that, so I can delve deep into that area. But at the moment, I'm just sort of jumping between different areas and trying to find those phases where I can just readjust mentally into the next area.
0: So rather than trying to do more than one thing at a time, you're deliberately compartmentalizing your day or hours into sections to deal with each. Of the different aspects of work you have
1: on the go absolutely and, and the, the thing is with the properties i have to jump in and out of that because i might get a call from a builder but yeah I, i'm able to stick them in in areas where i can dip in and dip out when needed
0: and do you keep lists or notes to keep you on track
1: and so what i've done is i've done uh, spider diagrams for all of these four areas and I've sort of had different areas coming off of the centre, whether it's coaching, podcasts, podcast course, or property. So I've got a whole view and I've stuck that on my wall in my office. So I'm able to see the current things that I need to think about and, and, and sort of have managed it visually that way as well. So when you're an employee like you've been, is
0: it harder to be motivated because you're working for somebody else?
1: Yeah so so what my podcast is it, it my the strap line is a corporate employee with an entrepreneurial mindset yes. and um and I've for the last well maybe 5 or 6 years I've worked with a mentor and he's an entrepreneur himself and and what I've tried to do and which I've been successful in my career is to be entrepreneurial in a big corporate and I only realized or it came to my notice about Three months ago, when I interviewed someone, there is actually a word called intrapreneur, which I'd not heard of, which is right. essentially an entrepreneur working inside an organisation. So, for the last four or five years, five or six years, I've been I've been doing entrepreneurial things, and that is coming up with ideas, pushing the pushing the the conventional thought, and trying to deliver in a slightly different manner than a lot of other corporate employees do. So.
0: What a great word, intrapreneur.
1: Yeah, I, as I say, I'd not heard of this at all until three months ago. I did an interview with, um, with someone in, in the US and he said, that's it. That's what I do. Um, and, and the word is intrapreneur. I was like, oh, wow. Well, I've been doing this for four or five years and I didn't realize this was what it. That there was actually a term. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I actually love that as well.
0: So as an entrepreneur, what's the motivation? Is it bonuses, promotion, or just the satisfaction of doing the best possible job?
1: For a while, it was getting promoted uh, because I felt I needed to accelerate my career. And um, there was different sales techniques, which uh, my mentor taught me. And and I was able to build that sales into everything from so what I what I used to do is I used to do demos, I used to do client facing stuff, building relationships and selling and doing demos and building that that area. So there was definitely a sales aspect which I which I had in my role. But equally, selling yourself in a corporate environment is not the given word but essentially that's what you have to do to to get the right politics to get the right people influenced you have to persuade you have to you have to sell yourself a bit as well so i think that's what i was i i was trying to achieve and that if you do everything right and you work with a great team then revenues increase you sell additional services on from what your core service that you're providing to your to your client so yeah, it's sort of sales, and it's a really a, not a good word in the corporate. Corporates do not like that sort of words. But then I packaged together and did a course a little while ago called Consultative Sales, and this is essentially what, as a consultant, you are selling. And for this area, you're selling relationships and building long-term relationships internally and externally.
0: So how many podcasts did you say you've recorded now?
1: I think it's 216
0: and it's called Absolute Business Mindset.
1: That is correct, yes.
0: So how did that get started?
1: So the first 60-odd episodes, I just did personal thinkings, muses, as well as readings and and my own techniques that I, I developed. And, and it was only a friend of mine said, why don't you start doing interviews? I'll be your first guest. So I was like, right, okay. So... So I've probably interviewed about 50 or 60 um, entrepreneurs, mainly entrepreneurs, but I've had business owners as well. And they are marketers, digital marketers, recruiters, property guys, authors, speakers, podcasters, YouTube stars, as well as some business owners and some, some, some corporates as well, people who worked in corporates as well. So a lot of the stuff I talk about is how they got to their successful point so we talk about their history and their journey that they've had it's mainly focused around their businesses um and i just want to showcase their business i i i want to i i want them to be able to tell me about all the different things they do and and really see it as a an opportunity to get to my audience and and perhaps sell perhaps just build brand loyalty uh build interest um so yeah the the interviews are, are released every sunday evening uh uk time I just find it fascinating hearing how people got to to what they deem successes. Who would
0: you say is the most motivating person you've interviewed?
1: There was a guy fairly recently that had six businesses. And one of the questions was because I often get because people know my background, I often get asked on these things, how do you how do you juggle? It's kind of what we talked about earlier, how do you juggle mm. so many different things? And this guy was running six businesses at one time, and he said that I found him very motivating because it was like, this can be done as long as you've got the processes and the systems and the people. At the moment, all my businesses are based mainly around myself, but I'm looking to outsource some of the podcasting stuff because um, I want to focus in on more uh, revenue generating tasks. So, um, so this guy was fascinating. Uh, but is it, I've just done my second interview with two people one was released a couple of weeks ago and i've got one released uh, a week on sunday and this was the first time i'd gone back to 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 a person and interviewed them again basically because i just got on with them so well and i just loved interviewing them so i went back for a second interview and 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 so we're now talking about potentially ventures that we might do together so so these guys that are Have been in the business for for a while. They understand their market. They understand their business. They understand their employees. These guys are the inspiring people for me because they they've done it and they've been successful. Some people have been through downs as well as ups, but they've all come out the other side with successful businesses.
0: So, with the personal techniques you put on your early podcasts, what was your inspiration or research?
1: My inspiration is. People that have been there and done it and um and they they inspire me I equally try and inspire people as well because um I think that's partly why I did the podcast, partly how I've worked in my corporate career is to be able to to build these relationships which inspire people and what you want to do is you want to lift people up and uh and get the best out of them um and so through my career, I have always tried to to elevate people as much because I don't always. Sometimes you're competing with other people, but a lot of the time, your success isn't 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 in contradiction to someone else being successful as well. You can you can go up the career ladder, or you can increase sales, or whatever it is. That other people's success doesn't mean detriment to you. So so I I'm inspired by. I started my journey a long time ago with Tony Robbins, but that's developed into a bit of Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, mm-hmm. There's a UK guy called Rob Moore, which I think is fantastic. Tim Ferriss, all sort of major sort of business focused primarily. Uh, yeah. But I love Tim Ferriss, how he goes into different angles and different routes that you wouldn't really necessarily start off with when you have a guest on your podcast. So. For me, just inspiring stories, people being successful, um, family is important to me, so people who can manage families as well. All these things inspire me and, and, and people that I meet, not just on the podcast, but outside of work. There's, there's usually an inspirational story in everyone.
0: So on a day-to-day basis, do you have any, let's call them motivators, that you swear
1: by? One of the key things for me is getting eight hours sleep. um i've tried four five hours and i really struggle so for me it's important for me some people can work on four hours and and can be really on on it i can't so for me i have to get those eight hours sleep um i i try to exercise as regularly as i can i'm trying to get three times three times a week um if hopefully four but three times a week to to be able to exercise, that is very motivational for me. Um, because the gym's been shut, I've started in the last couple of months meditating in the morning. Um, and it's only a 10-minute meditation, but um, I found without having the exercise so on tap with the gym, just being able to have a bit of me time away from from everything that's going on. And as I say, I don't do extensively. I'm fairly new to it, but definitely finding advantages and benefits from, from doing that as well.
0: It seems to be a really common trait at the moment, meditation and exercise. Just little bits every day or every couple of days seem to make a big difference. So with your coaching work, how do you motivate your staff or clients on days when they aren't feeling quite as motivated as yourself?
1: so i would i would i would go and find some time some one-on-one time um if someone's going through a um a hard time at home or um a difficult time there there are any number of different versions of why people can have an off day or an off week um but i would spend some time with them and 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 work out what the problem that they're facing and again sort of goal orientated and try and solution try and find a solution look they can speak to their their friends and they can delve into the the deepest darkest concerns that they have and i'm happy to to touch upon that and people as you say people have bad days and and you sh- that's part of your elevating people um is take some time out of whatever you're doing find a space invariably a safe zone in the office or wherever you are uh, that 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 is just you and and that person, and just talk with them and and let them vent let them argue with in, in their own selves let them let them get there, what whatever's really frustrating them or or whatever it is um but it it's really one on one time is is such a powerful tool when people are having bad times.
0: I'm curious with the various lines of business you have going on did you fall into these or was each one a conscious decision?
1: So the the podcasts were a conscious decision I wanted to have something outside of work that was a sort of side hustle um, and I learned all the skills I learned all the techniques all the equipment all the software um, built up knowledge about interviewing I built up knowledge about techniques I, I i always say tools techniques and tactics are what i'm offering on my sort of solo stuff on my podcast so that was a very conscious effort uh the properties actually came from a bereavement i inherited a property and then i've been able to leverage that for with other properties on top of that so again that was a situation that that i was put in and i had to it was a quite a, a deep bereavement. so it was a it was a troubled time. But um, I wanted to get something positive out of that, and being able to strike up a revenue stream of uh, renting out properties was um, was something new to me. But I've embraced and and I love doing it. I do webinars on a regular basis with a company, um, building up knowledge and and skills, tools and ta- tactics. Um, and the coaching has always been something that I I think I I could do and was doing a bit of it in the corporate world um, and just realized that I do think I can offer people a service. Um, And so um, although sort of been doing it for a number of years, uh, the sort of coaching came into fruition because I had a conversation with my wife about it and we sort of came to a conclusion that I've got a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, which I think I could help people with. And um, and so that was another deliberate move. And as I say, since the properties came online, the the real the real realistic point of view of being able to quit my job became um, a a realization. And that was something that I was just building up a a portfolio to be able to support uh, from a revenue point of view as well.
0: So how far ahead have you planned out your goals for each of these projects?
1: So I set yearly goals in January sort of late December early January around Christmas time and I review them in about July August time now obviously it would be slightly different because of covid this year but I always set myself goals in the year um and and and, and track that I've always tracked um, how I was getting on with that and 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 sort of uh, go back to them to motivate myself, to make me accountable, and uh, and, and equally the other thing that's really helped me on accountability for goals is working with my mentor who I've worked with for about five or six years, and he has he's made me accountable, and I I think that's one of the big advantages of a coach or a mentor is that you have an external person that is making you accountable. So I would I would say every business owner, every entrepreneur every corporate employee all all under the sort of that banner having a a business coach would would definitely 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 help you
0: so how do you present the goals back to yourself
1: so i write them down i've got a book um old school writing them down um I, i i went through a phase of of doing mantras which Mm -hmm. I then got about six things and I would say that to myself every night or read it every night and read it every morning and I used that for quite a long time I've actually come off of using that so regularly now but maybe it's something I should think about but using your you you, using your subconscious as well as your conscious I think is an incredibly powerful tool we don't we don't know everything about the brain, and I really think the subconscious, if you can embed uh, things that you want to achieve in a mantra um, that you, you, you read every morning and every evening before you go to bed and when you wake up, I think is actually a really powerful tool. I might start using that as a, as a technique um, when I am fully-fledged entrepreneur.
0: I couldn't agree more. we've spoken on this show in the past how mantras or affirmations can do massive benefits, and letting our subconscious motivate you whilst you sleep well, what could be better than that
1: exactly you're working or your brain's working on things that you want to achieve in your sleep as well as as well as when you're awake.
0: What three words do you think sum up your personality mark
1: ambitious persistent. I think that's one of my uh, sort of superpowers is that I, I really, if people, because I, I do it for myself, if I say I'm going to do something, then I I do it. And when people say they're going to do things, I'm persistent on making sure that they deliver as, what they, they've said they've done. So I would say ambitious, um, persistent, and I would say optimistic.
0: Three very good traits to have. what fires your optimism up
1: listening to podcasts and and watching youtube uh with motivational speakers and um and, and and sort of business coaches has really it's really helped me from a mindset point of view to have that growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset which i think a fixed mindset equals a lot of negativity So with a growth mindset of being open to things, and one of the things I'm big on is trying to improve 1% every day. And that 1% suddenly builds up to 365% in a year. And that is a huge change. So for me, having that growth mindset, trying to learn something new, uh, learn from from people who have been there and done it um, has been incredibly powerful for me. And that has made my mindset so much stronger and more resilient.
0: So run that past us again because I think that's a brilliant nugget. So improving by one percent a day equals three hundred and sixty-five percent every year.
1: Yeah, so what 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 the mentality is? It comes from um I'm not sure if it was only from this, but I I heard this initially. Um the the British cycling uh team, uh Dave Browsford, who is the, the head of that, um said that. What you should be doing is incremental small improvements and changes every day. And I really found that powerful. I'm, I'm sure he's stolen it from someone else, but that's where I picked it up from. And I thought it was a really powerful thought because 1% every day doesn't seem that much. And actually, just making a tweak, you've tested something and then you've tweaked it and made it better, building up your knowledge. Some people find I'll take six months off and learn how to be a, I don't know, like like an editor or a a tax professional or whatever it is. But for me, doing that small steps every day, it's not such a hardship. And and so suddenly when you think about all the things that you've done in that year, actually improving something by 365% is massive. Mm -hmm. And I think that is... A really powerful um, realization when you start doing that every day, and then suddenly a year goes by, and suddenly you've you've built this knowledge, you've built this, you've you've tested and you've tweaked and you've repeated, and so suddenly it becomes a huge increase in your skills, knowledge, experience, um, which is for me a, a very powerful tool.
0: Remind us again how we can hear your podcast.
1: So you can go to any of the places where you find your podcast um it's um absolute business mindset you can go to my podcast course if you're interested in that that's abmpodcastcourse.co.uk you can go to my podcast website which is absolutebusinessmindset.com um and 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 I'm really going to ramp up linkedin as well so uh, I am Mark Dash Hayward there. So please, if anyone wants to reach out to ask me any questions or are interested in 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 their business or coaching, then please reach out to me there. Now.
0: now, Mark, will you come back on after you've left the job and become a fully fledged entrepreneur, and let us know how it's going?
1: Of course, I will.
0: My thanks to Mark, and I hope you get a chance to hear some of his shows online. Now. As I mentioned, this year has been a test of everyone's motivation and positivity in all areas of life. But for my next guest, 2020 has been a piece of cake in comparison to 2017. My guest is Anne-Marie Martin-Coles, and I'll let her explain. But I started by asking her what her life was like four years ago and what an average day was like then.
2: (laughs) Um, So I would have been uh, working. Uh, Sadly, my sister was already suffering then from mental illness, um, which had been part of our lives for lots of years. Um, But it had taken sort of a turn for the worst in April of 2016. So we'd had a few months of sort of looking after her as best we could. She was in a secure sort of unit, where she was being treated for her illness.
0: What was the diagnosis of that?
2: So she had just, she'd been diagnosed with depression. Nothing more than that, really. Just, there was no reason for it. I think we think that she was just born with it. So the August would have been spent talking, talking a lot, talking with her, talking with my parents, trying to help. To help her see that it's not all bad, actually. But sadly for her, it wasn't ever really going to change. When we went further down the line in September, my mum went on holiday. And I had been married two years by then. And so I think in her head, she thought we were all kind of okay. She then, my sister was a great actress. So we thought that she was getting better. Although if you ask us now, any one of us, me and my mum or my dad, if you ask us now, we would say we think we always knew the outcome would be her taking her life. But we never spoke about that. And we we just hoped that somehow it would it would there would be a miracle. Um, And sadly, there wasn't my mum was on holiday. Uh, I think Francesca thought everybody was happy. Everyone was in a good place in their lives, so actually now was the best time. So she got herself discharged from the hospital on the grounds that they thought she was getting better and we all thought she was getting better. And then sadly she did take her own life and passed away on the 15th of September and she was 36.
0: So do you think the whole whole getting discharged and uh, her portrayal to you and the staff was all a mask
2: Yes, I think that's what we think. I. It's really difficult to know, but I, I just I can't believe that she could have been better, as far as we can we were concerned, but then we ended up where we are now a few days later. So I can only think that, yeah, that it was perhaps part of her plan, and you know, and she was really intelligent, so she kind of knew what knew what she was doing she knew what she needed to do to get what she believed was right for her so uh yeah that was a that was a really difficult time difficult for us as a family
0: so that's the september of 2016
2: that's right so then then my husband and i went on holiday um which would had all been planned and my parents were very soon you should still go and so so we did go, and I describe those sort of few weeks after all that had happened as riding a wave, really. I think there's an expectation when, from soaps, actually, I think there's an expectation that you fall apart all the time. But actually, I don't, in my experience, it wasn't like that. Yes, it was really sad, and yes, I cried a lot, but. But you do, you have to get on with it. And I believe that Fran felt or can now be at peace because she battled for so many years. Then, So then actually now we have to get on with what she would want us to be getting on with. So that's kind of what you do. So but the first few weeks after that is just like riding away. You're just doing what you have to do. So we had our holiday, and and then we came back, and um, I wasn't I wasn't at work for a fair while. I think I was just talking about going back to work, and I'd perhaps done like weeks in October. And rather strangely, my husband and I decided one Sunday. We were going to go to London for a day out and we rarely do things like this. There's always too much to do at home or in the house or something. So we decided we'd go to London for the day and we had the most amazing day. We did lots of sightseeing, things that we hadn't done before. And it was lovely. We were up there until about 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday. It was such a mistake because we had to get up for work the next day. And then the next morning he went off to work and as I was getting ready for work, Um, in my normal morning routine, I had my shower, and I found a lump in my breast, which was the strangest thoughts go through your head. Um, We have no history of cancer in my family at all. But my initial reaction was, oh, my goodness, it must be cancer. Everybody talks about a lump in your breast, it must be cancer. And then once I'd calmed down a little bit and thought, well, no, it can't be because we just don't have it, so it can't be. Um, so, but I'll do what they say and I'll go and get it checked out. So I phoned my GP that morning and I went in and had an examination and and she said, "No, I don't think it is. You're young. I was 39. Um, you're young. You've no family history. I don't think it is, but I will send you just for a checkup." and I think it was about a week later or no, maybe a few days later, I had a letter for an appointment a week later, uh, which was the appointment was the 7th of November. And the appointment was for the Royal Marsden. And suddenly it hit me that there was a possibility this could be cancer because everybody knows that the Royal Marsden is the cancer hospital. And I rang Dave and said I've got an appointment at the Marston I don't know why but I really wasn't expecting it to be there I don't know what I thought it was going to be but I wasn't expecting it to be there so anyway we trundled along um, and I can't fault the Marston they are an amazing hospital so the whole process for me was always amazing and they explained everything. And then I saw a, like a ward nurse, I think. And, and she said, no, it's highly unlikely. We don't think it is cancer. It's probably just a cyst. We'll send you for, a, um, I think it's an ultrasound actually. And then we'll be able to see whether it's a mass or whether it's liquid. So and they said to me, if it's, um, if it's just full of fluid, then it'll be assist. So then we'll just send you home. But if not, then we'll want to do a biopsy. So I went back to the waiting room and I told Dave all of this. And then I went off for my scan. And then I was told to wait in the waiting room. Uh. So Dave said, But I thought if it was assist, they'd say you could go home. So I said, Yeah, they did say that. So I'm guessing it's not assist. So we waited for a few minutes. And- and then I went in and had my biopsy and I had to wait a week and then I, was, I had enough follow-up and appointment. And yeah, and that was the day they said, um, no, it is breast cancer. I looked at Dave, who's who just drained white. <laughs> um, and it, it was that moment you see it on the TV really, it's just a shock. You don't really know quite what to say. I think I said, am I going to lose my hair?" <laughs> And which, of course, the answer was, yes, I needed chemotherapy. Um, and that was actually harder hearing that than hearing, Hearing well, I thought it was harder to hear that than hearing the diagnosis. But I have to say, I never at that point thought that I was going to die. I didn't. It never crossed my mind. I just thought, oh, these people are going to make me better. I don't know. I just went with it. And I never questioned anything, they said to me you'll have um chemotherapy first, uh then surgery and then radiotherapy. And when I went home and told my friends and family, they said, well, normally you have surgery first. Why why are you having chemotherapy first? And and it was so that they could try and um reduce the tumour in size, which is an approach that they take in some early stages of the cancer. Um, and and it really worked. I had eight um, eight lots of uh, chemotherapy and it reduced the tumour to almost nothing. Uh, yeah.
0: Wow. So on the day you heard, so you've waited a week to find out, which I imagine was worse than actually finding out.
2: I think, yeah, it was. Although I think I was just, I was completely in denial. So I still, at that point, didn't think it was going to be cancer. Everybody around me had said, I don't think it's going to be cancer. So I'm not sure. I don't remember that week being horrendous. I think I went to work um, and I guess I would just normal, really. I think I did a bit of research on cysts and what would happen if it was a cyst and how they would deal with it. Um, but no, I don't. I don't, I was just convinced it wasn't going to be. So, yeah. So then hearing that it was, was, yeah, it was just a complete shock, really. Um, So then we, um, so that diagnosis was the 15th. Um, We did have a funny conversation with the nurse. Um, Immediately afterwards, you're taken into a room, you know, to ask any questions. And my husband said, I guess she mustn't drink any more wine then. She needs to be careful. And uh, and the nurse said, oh, no, no. If she wants wine, which I think she may need wine, <laughs> then she can. <laughs> so I got the blessing. So that was okay. Um, so then we, um, we spoke about fertility issues because chemotherapy causes fertility issues. Um, we'd already had fertility issues anyway. Uh, So we had already had um, some fertility treatment earlier that year that hadn't worked. So then we had to, they wanted to start the chemotherapy quite soon, uh, but they accepted that we would want to preserve some eggs. Uh, So we did that all very, very quickly. Um, In fact, I was part of a, Leatherhead Operatic Society production that was taking place um the first week of December um and it just so happens that I needed to have the egg collection procedure on the second night of a performance at the theatre luckily I'm only ever in the background so they were able to cover it but I wasn't able to go and I think I had a fairly good excuse that evening not to be there um yeah. but uh Yes, yeah, so that was early December, and I had my first chemo on the fifteenth of December.
0: Wow! So, first day of chemo. What's going through your mind?
2: That was terrifying. I would say I you hear so much about it, the sickness and how ill it makes you feel. So that was I was more terrified about that really than you know. But I knew it was a I believed it was a means to an end. I I knew I had to go through it. But the first time, yeah, was, was really the unknown. They also had recommended I use um, something they called the cold cap, which I don't know actually how well known that is now. It certainly wasn't that well known when I was having treatment. But the cold cap, I describe it a little, little bit like a rugby hat that they wear for, for the rugby players wear that's what it looks like mm-hmm. um, and it's filled with or pumped with frozen water which freezes your hair follicles with the intention that you won't lose your hair and it worked for me so I started the treatment in December and I didn't lose my hair properly um, until the April and in theory I should have lost it in the January. I was losing my hair all the time. It was thinning, but I never, I went to my stepdaughter's wedding in, at the beginning of April and I still had my own hair at that point. So, but the cold cap is incredibly painful. I can cope with the needles and all of that, but the cold cap was something else. Um, and Dave took a photograph of me, which is for me a really poignant photograph. Because it was at the point where I was fighting the tears, the pain was so unbearable. And then the whole experience of what was happening all for for that few minutes all just became a bit too much. Um, And then a lady that was sat next to me said to me, if you can bear the pain for about 10 minutes, after that, your head will go numb and then you won't feel it anymore. And she was absolutely right, and so you just had to deal with it for about ten minutes. But for me, it was worth it. For a lot of people, there she can't can't stand it; it's too much, and they'd rather lose their hair, which is fine. Um, But you know, each to their own. I was willing to put up with the pain in the hope that I could keep my hair for a bit longer, um, which did work.
0: How did you feel after that first chemo session?
2: I I was expecting to feel really ill and really sick. and um, But they, they give you, you amazing anti-sickness drugs to try and help with all of that. So I think I went home. I think I, I was fine. I, I had some dinner. I did start to feel sick in the evening. And I did at one point go and sit on the bathroom floor and think, oh, this is what they all talk about. Um, And then I remembered that they'd said to me, because they give you anti-sickness drugs to take over the next three days. And they'd said to me, if you feel really bad this evening, you can take one this evening. And I did. I then went and took one. And within not very long, 20 minutes, probably, I didn't feel sick anymore. And I went to bed and that was it. So actually, for me, that experience wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, and I was really lucky through all of my chemos. I never had the sickness. I think, I don't know, I can only speak from my experience, but it would seem that they now have the drugs to be able to control that, whereas I think lots of years ago they didn't. But I didn't have sickness with it. I definitely had tiredness. That Like, that is something else. Um my chemo was every three weeks and I used to say that for the first half of the three weeks I it was just I was worthless I could I couldn't do anything and then for the next half before my next session I would try really hard to do something you know meet up with a friend or you know and I I always tried to make the best of it when i was feeling as well as i ever felt at that time
0: so right at the outset you said i didn't fear dying no. i knew they were going to make me better did that continue through the chemo
2: almost all of the time i think there was there was one occasion and it was always if i was on my own i never really showed anybody else what i perhaps might be thinking on this odd occasion but i-i can remember one time sitting on the edge of the bed, thinking, "What if this doesn't work?" And I was terrified for my parents, really, because they'd just lost one child. How on earth could they lose another? But yeah, I couldn't deal with those thoughts really, and I knew that that wasn't going to be helpful for me at all so i I just didn't i just didn't really go there um I just i I felt awful because the chemotherapy does make you feel rough and and I was annoyed I was frustrated that I wasn't able to behave like a thirty nine year old and do the things that I'd always done before, but I knew that that's what I had to do, and i and I had to stay positive and and just go with it and I believed that it was going to make me better, and every time I went for a checkup and they said, yet yeah, the tumor's reducing and so that, that makes you know that it's going to work. It's, you're, you're going to get there.
0: And how much were you portraying that to keep everybody else happy? You say you were thinking about your parents and obviously your husband. Mm. And how much of that was, no, actually, I do feel this.
2: Um, I think that's a really good question. I I will always try and keep everybody else happy so I think that um
0: that's why I asked
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah I definitely wanted certainly from my from my parents point of view because and we you know at this time we were living 300 miles apart so my parents couldn't see me all the time and so I definitely wanted to come across as positive for them and believing that you know, this was going to work, and it was all going to be fine. Yeah, uh, Dave probably saw because we were living together. Um, he would have seen me probably at the times when perhaps I wasn't always quite so happy. But generally, yeah, I my friends, if they if they came round to see me, I I can always put on a everything's fine. <laughs> um, but I think it probably was really
0: most of the time and how long did the chemo carry on for uh
2: so started the uh 15th of december and the last one was the 17th of may uh, 2017 um which actually is not very long at all i i it didn't feel like it was very long um and then so before i knew it i was like you know starting it and then before i knew it Oh, we're at the last one, and I just—I it went. It went quite quickly.
0: So, what was the me. next stage?
2: Uh, so, the next stage um, was surgery. So, I had, um, yeah. So, I can't remember the month. I think it was probably July. I think there was a little time to wait between chemo finishing, um, and then, and then I had surgery, which was essentially to remove any tissue because effectively the tumor had gone by then. Um, but they just remove tissue from around that area just in case it any anything was left yeah so I had that that's a that's a fairly big operation <laughs> um and yeah and then and then there's that sort of takes quite a long time to heal um and there's quite a lot you know I have quite a lot of scarring um my breasts are not exactly the most attractive <laughs> um but you know, but they are there but I was fortunate because i i didn't have to have a mastectomy, and lots of people do i um i can't i think it was um in two thousand and eighteen I went to a uh, a function run by uh breast cancer care the the charity breast cancer care um and they did a um it was a get together for people that have suffered from cancer that are under 40. And uh, we had experts come in and talk to us. But actually, the main, the main reason for doing it was to meet other people that have been through it with you. And when you talk to some of them and the operations that they have, um, they they... There's something else, you know, it's huge operations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my my scars are just my scars from a time in my life that was not great. But actually, I probably got away fairly lightly, to be honest. So, yeah, so we had surgery. And then um, once that had recovered, we, um, we know, I then had uh, radiotherapy.
0: So after the radiotherapy, you then get, I imagine, quite a long period of uncertainty
2: absolutely um i after the radiotherapy and after the surgery um you do then have a a follow-up um so once um there's a whole team of people after the surgery that will look at what was taken away and essentially determine whether you get the all clear or not uh and i was i went I went with a really good work friend. She came with me to my final appointment with my oncologist uh, and he gave me the all clear. And that, w- that was incredible, um, quite emotional, actually, because all through it, I, as I say, I wasn't particularly emotional, certainly not in front of other people. Um, but that was emotional hearing that.
0: So as soon as you're given the all clear, you start raising money for the Mars.
2: I did, yes. I I always knew about the Marston March. I'd heard other people talk about it, um, and then when I was there, I saw posters about it uh, around the building. So I I decided that I was I was wanted to do it myself, and I roped in a few friends to come along with me. Uh, so it's about a it's a fourteen mile, fourteen and a bit mile walk from. The Marsden in Chelsea uh, to the Marsden in um, Sutton. Uh, so we did that, uh, yeah, to raise some money, to give some money back.
0: So throughout all of that, you've, it seems to me, you had a very positive mental attitude right from the get go, all the way through the treatment. Is that something you've always had?
2: Um, I yeah, you know, that's a really funny question because I think if I answer it, I think I, my initial thought would be no, um, although maybe the people around me would think differently. I don't know. But I- what you
0: portray to other people is very different to what you feel yourself, as, as I was trying to get to earlier.
2: <laughs> yes,
0: um, yeah. A lot of people can do false positivity where you're portraying yes. um, that to other people having it inside is very different. So you would say no.
2: I would, yeah. So I
0: would say, did this create more of it for you?
2: I think I am quite a positive person now, and I think I look at life very differently um, because I strongly believe that you don't know what is around the corner, so you have to make the best out of every situation. Yeah, it probably has made me like that.
0: So, in in those two years where everything suddenly got turned upside down, there would have been an, uh, quite a few off days. Yeah. What did you do yourself to pick yourself up and get back on track?
2: Trying to get out of the house is the best thing to do. I don't I think we can all fall into the trap of just well going to bed perhaps and 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 sometimes that's needed but I think that actually getting outside and getting some fresh air is is um really really helpful to to your to your mental health really I I find um and I nag Dave all the time because he's very he gets very stressed with work and I think just go outside, even if it's just a 10-minute walk around the block. I, there's something, it does something, and it just clears your head um, because I just think, I don't know, it just it makes everything feel so much better.
0: It's, it's very obvious you're, you care an awful lot about what, how other people are feeling, your parents mm-hmm. and Dave. When they were having their off days, what were your tactics to motivate them
2: yeah just just throw every positivity at them really and just try and I think there was probably at some occasions where I may have even said you know this this is not you this is happening to it's me um and yeah so you know and if I can get on with it and and be happy then you you have to too and you have to believe that it's going to work um i have to say that my mum was um i think everybody she spoke to she was quite positive about it initially she was not initially she was terrified but once she knew that i was getting the right treatment she would just tell everybody that i was you know going to get better and you know
0: it was quite funny Do you think that your attitude of believing right from the beginning that right this has happened, but they're going to sort me out, Mm -hmm. I'm going to sort myself out? I know it's an impossible question to ask, but do you think that belief speeded your recovery?
2: Yes, I'd I'd like to think if you can try and just think like the sensible part of my brain was saying, you know, these drugs are supposed to work so they're going to work so so I've no need to doubt them I I knew that my the cancer had been caught early and I knew therefore that the prognosis was better so yeah I I didn't I just didn't I wasn't going to go there really with any sort of hesitation that they weren't going to make me better my mum certainly believes my mum always says um because she was so positive in the beginning, um, that really helped get her better. So, yeah. We'll
0: we'll never know.
2: No, absolutely, no. Um, But then I I like to think maybe it's because it saw that I was up for the challenge.
0: That's a positive way of thinking about it. (laughs) Is there anything you would have done differently?
2: No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I... No, I just faced it, got on with it. And, uh, and I do look back now and say, oh, yeah, that was quite that was a difficult year. And I can remember at times thinking, um, will I ever feel normal again? And, and I definitely do. I have a completely normal life now. I go for my annual mammogram. I'm part of a trial that they're doing. So every, uh, once every six months, they take some blood from me which they do something with. I've got no idea, but my theory with the trials was always, if they didn't do trials, they wouldn't be ad- as advanced as they are now. Um, f- a few years before I was diagnosed, my cancer was not really treatable. Mm. Um, and then they found this drug that could control it. And and obviously that was through trials. And, and that's... I'm very grateful for so so yes, yeah, so I do a trial um which is ongoing um but other than that unless I tell somebody, they wouldn't necessarily know it had happened, but I do tell people
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you and you're proud of it
2: yeah, yeah, quite right yeah I, I think you know it's it's something it wasn't part of my plan but um but I did it, and and actually, you know, you can do it. You, and s- sadly, in some cases, it doesn't, doesn't have the positive outcome. But actually, you know, for some people, it can. And I'm an example of that.
0: Indeed. And having no regrets, is you can't get more positive than that.
2: No, no, no.
0: So here's a question I ask everybody. What three words, if you can, sum up your personality?
2: Okay, so believe it or not, uh, shy, friendly, quietly confident.
0: A quiet optimist. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Yes. Emery, thank you so much for talking to us.
2: It's all right. You're very welcome. No problem.
0: I hope you've enjoyed the episode. And don't forget to get in touch via the website and social media feeds. And of course, Sharing is caring. So share the episodes with your friends as well. You can catch up on all of our previous shows on the podcast. And we've got some exciting and very different guests coming up in the coming weeks ahead with some very novel ideas. Till next time, be positive.